Welcome to the Man Up God's Way podcast, a show that dives into the real, raw, and relevant issues for men in their faith, life, and community. Now, your host, Jody Birkin. All right, guys, my name is Jody Burkeen. I'm the founder of Man Up God's Way Men's Ministry and the host of the Man Up God's Way podcast. Today, we got a special guest here today, uh, Kelly Williams, Pastor Kelly Williams, I should say, from Vanguard Church in Colorado. Uh, Kelly, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing well, Jody. Thank you for having me today. Man, I'm so glad to, to have you here. Uh, as I was telling you earlier before we started, I've been uh, stalking you on Facebook for quite some time and uh, read your blogs quite often. And, uh, you've, you've got a lot on, uh, just about, just about every platform. It seems like Patheos, uh, publishes you Christian to Christianity today. And, uh, your blog is, uh, is really good. I, I like all the, uh, the content that you're writing and, uh, just how you're trying to, um, you know, keep, keep, uh, the world in line and, uh, with a lot of the godly stuff that you put on there. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, good. So, you know, one of the things I like to do on our podcast is just really hear the story of the person that we're talking to, um, you know, how you came to faith. And um, you and I have actually a, a lot in common because we're both Kentucky boys. And uh, I was, Kentucky? I'm from Murray, Kentucky. OK, right. I'm a Murray State racer. Um, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, uh, yeah. And uh um, I, I grew up Kentucky till I was 21 years old and joined the military and then went out to Fort Riley, Kansas, and then kind of started searching the world after that. So, uh, I l- love my hometown, uh, of love my home state of Kentucky and, uh, it's kind of hard to get it out of you, but, uh, you've been in Colorado for quite some time. So tell me how you went from, you know, a small farm, farm town boy to, um, Colorado to pastor in a church for the last 25 years. So, so I'm originally from a little town called Cave City, Kentucky. Uh, it's the home to Mammoth Cave, which is the right. largest underground cave in the world. Um, it um, has become pretty well known. Actually, after COVID, it's become a hot spot for people to visit. Um, so it it's about an hour north of Nashville. I grew up on a dairy farm there. Uh, my dad became a believer when I was about six years old. Uh, surrendered his life to the full-time ministry, became a pastor. Um, he taught me how to take care of cows. I spent most of my life uh, with cows more than I did wow. with people. Uh, <laughs> and so I grew up on a dairy farm uh, twice a day, every day. Uh, so learned what hard work was, learned what discipline was. And, right. you know, it's kind of amazing. Uh, I, I remember when I went to Dallas Seminary, Dr. Swindoll uh, was our president then, and he said that it was amazing to him how many people had either been in the military uh, or had come from a farm uh, that ended up in ministry. Uh, And those two things seem to be, um, they shape, you know, people, and there's a tremendous need for discipline in ministry. And so I grew up in Kentucky, grew up uh, near a place called Glasgow, Kentucky, Um, the, the you know, they have the Glasgow Scotland Highland Games every year. Uh, so there's a lot of Irish, Scottish 
influence there. Um, my youth pastor, Philip Coomer, he actually introduced me to Liberty University. Okay. And so when I was a senior in high school, I felt like God called me to go to Liberty. And so he was instrumental in getting me there. Um, while I was there, uh, his wife, um, Sharon, she was the secretary of a guy named Dr. Norman Geisler. And I don't know if, if many of your listeners know who Dr. Geisler is, but at that time, he's one of the leading apologists in the world. Um, super intelligent, brilliant, conservative, Bible scholar, uh, defender of the faith. And uh, Philip asked me to come over and help build a bathroom in Dr. Geisler's basement. <laughs> and so Dr. Geisler came downstairs and introduced himself. And I, he sounded like Captain Kangaroo. I'd, I'd never heard anyone that sounded like <laughs> Captain Kangaroo. And he handed me this book and it was called The Infiltration of the New Age Movement. Hmm. He said, hey, it hasn't even come out yet. I wanted to give you a copy of it. Thanks for helping uh, Philip. And I took that book and I went back to my dorm and I just devoured it. Wow. And it was about the um, new age movement in Colorado. I had never been um, as far West as I'd ever been with St. Louis. Okay. Uh, one time. Uh, and that's it. I knew nothing about Colorado except the Denver Broncos, John Elway, uh, you know, that, right. that was a Right. And after I read that book, uh, it was about new age farms in Colorado. Mm. Uh, I closed it and I just said out loud, I'm going to start a church in Colorado. Wow. I want to go, go reach people that are spiritual, but don't know Jesus. Uh, and so a lot of my professors at Liberty uh, were Dallas uh, theological seminary grads. Right. I met my wife, Tasha there. We got married, uh, moved to Dallas, um, in 1993, and then in 1996, finished uh, seminary there and then moved with the Southern Baptist Convention and started uh, Vanguard here in Colorado Springs. Holy cow. And so yeah. you, you've been doing that ever since. I, I watched your uh, 25th anniversary video, and that was that's a, special, that's a special moment. We're getting ready to have our eighth year, and I thought that was special. And uh, 25, that's cool. That is awesome to, to especially to be leading that long and, um, you know, to, uh, finish well, I mean, you haven't finished yet, but you're, right. you're, you're, you're pulling it out well, uh, where most pastors, you know, after the, especially when you get uh, as large as you are tend to, it seems to fall away some sort. And, uh, we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. So, so you started Vanguard in uh, 96, is that correct? Uh, March of 97, this weekend, 97, okay. 26 years, 26 years. Goodness gracious. Congratulations. That is so cool. Um, and I saw that you and your wife had founded the church and kind of started it together and uh, you've moved multiple times and you're in a spot now that you may or may not have to move again, but you know, that's all up to God. So congratulations on that. That's uh that's very admirable and uh, something that we can all look up to. I appreciate that. Yeah. I launched the church in March 1st, 2015. Uh, we've been, we've been uh, at the church for eight years now and uh, we're just now getting through that, uh, uh, that, that, that lull of just trying to grow a church and things just right. are, are blowing up, uh, right after this. So, um, 
one of the things that I, you know, I wanted to, to talk to you about, and we'll talk about that here in just a second, but is, is really, it looks like you have a calling to, um, really keep others in line with the word of God. Uh, and maybe it's not a calling or maybe it's just happened. You, you just happen to be the voice in the wilderness, so to speak. Uh, it's something that I try to do quite often as well. Um, but when you see these other pastors and you see these other musicians that are out there, um, it looks like they're trying to keep one foot on, on the earth and one foot in heaven and, and hope that they get in kind of deal. They're trying to, it looks like they're see they're playing both sides. Is that, is that what you're seeing here? I mean, obviously you're, you're kind of rooted in the new age movement just from that book and then going out to Colorado and, you know, wanting to deal with spiritual people. So you're, you're, you're seeing how the gospel's you know, either being added to or taken away, which we both know is false. If it's, right. if it's done that way is, right. do you see that as a calling? And we'll talk about why I'm asking that question here in just a second, but do you see that as a calling to call others out um, or to or maybe not necessarily call them out, but at least uh, warn the other people that may be following them uh, that there's something awry here. When I was at Liberty university in 1992, my uh, grandfather, my dad's dad, and uh, I went home to Kentucky for my dad's dad's funeral. And while I was there, my mom kind of spoke some prophetic words over my life. Mm. And uh, she also asked me to preach her funeral when she passed away. And it kind of honestly it kind of freaked me out a little bit. I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I, um, and then less than two weeks later, she was killed by a drunk driver. Wow. And some of the prophetic things that she spoke over to me, uh, over me, I'm stepping into uh, in my life now. And I've gone back to God, Jody, a number of times. And I've said, Lord, was that a proud mom or was that prophetic words? Because she's not around. I can't ask her. Right. Uh, and so those words keep coming back to me. Um, and then in uh, February of 2001, um, you got to understand I'm, I'm a good Southern Baptist. I, I was going to say, cause you're, you're, you're sounding like, you know, I know you said you're with the Southern Baptist convention. <laughs> yeah. You sound like me. I always say it's people will ask like, uh, what's your church? Like I said, well, we're, we're kind of Baptist, but open to the gifts. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. I call it Costal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in, in February of 2001, um, I had, this reoccurring prophetic vision that occurred at 1:23 a.m. in the morning, and it was about Pastor Ted Haggard. Okay. And I didn't know what to do with it. It freaked me out. Uh, it kept occurring to the point that I, I I journal, and so I, after it kept happening, I just decided to write it down. Then I told my wife about it. She encouraged me to tell the elders. And eventually I shared it with him. Mm -hmm. And at that time I didn't know him. I knew of him. I'd never met him. Cause he, he was in, he's in Colorado too. So you were, were you close by at that time? Yes. Like yes I, okay. Yes. In the same city. And so I, I set up a meeting with him. I got to know him and I said, Hey, I need to share something with you. I'm having this reoccurring prophetic dream. I shared it with him and five years prior to all of that coming out publicly, uh, Ted 
privately said to me that it was all true. And I I tried to get Ted to go to his elder board and deal with it. Uh, It got really ugly. And eventually um, it it got really bad. Right. Uh, And that was, that was a defining prophetic moment in my life Mm -hmm. where um, I kind of went very dark in in wanting to do that for the Lord because of the kind of pain that it caused my life. Right. And so in 06, when it all came out, I remember sitting at the, at my dinner table, watching the world news, thinking to myself, Lord, this, this did not have to go down like this. Mm. And, and also feeling the incredible futility of what I went and did all of that, put myself out there. And really it didn't seem like it mattered. Right. And right. so from, from 06 to about 2016, I felt a lot of futility of, I'm not sure I want to be a pastor the rest of my life. Mm. Wow. And finally, I just decided to put down on paper everything that I'd experienced. And in 2018, um, there was a, a publishing house called Electio out of Dallas that published a book called the mystery of 23 God speaks. And basically the point I make in that book is God's going to ask you to do prophetic things. Mm -hmm. The results are not going to be what you would want them to be, but that does not negate the obedience that God has required and ask of you. Mm, That's good. Yeah. And so in that story, you're thinking, okay, if God gave me this vision, then, oh, there's going to be restoration. It's going to be a beautiful right. thing. You know, the the church isn't going to be split. You know, in your mind, I could imagine how you just wrestled with that going, okay, man, you know, I don't know why I'm going to be telling. And it wasn't like Ted Hager was just your local on the corner street preacher or, you know, just a small little church. He was the president of the Evangelical Association as well as a big mega church. It wasn't. You were you were basically talking to you know the big wigs, uh, big wig at the time, and uh, I can't imagine what you wrestled for or wrestled through with that. Oh my goodness! Well, and 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 when it when it from oh one to oh six, it was kind of like Lord, uh, did I make this stuff up? Did mm-hmm. like did you did did you really not tell me this? Like, and in the book, I talk about how. Elijah goes to Ahab and Jezebel and confronts them. And then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And so he runs and hides in a cave. And God comes to Elijah and says, what are you doing in here? Right. And, of course, if I were Elijah, I'd say, I'm, I'm hiding to, to try to save my life. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so interesting that when we do prophetic things or prophet things for God, it's amazing how, at least me, I don't, you can speak for yourself. I sometimes feel like it's up to me to, to protect myself Mm -hmm. from what comes from that. And I have to remind myself that if I did that for the Lord, then it's God's job to protect me. But that's easier said than done sometimes. Right. I mean, you know, especially with somebody like Tad, you know, he was, he was on the cusp of losing it all. Anyway, you could just tell in the last few years that he was, you know, just struggling to, to keep the, the marionette strings, just a moving and juggling and all that kind of stuff. He could have easily 
taking what you, you know, confronted him with. And, you know, as a pastor, a lot of times stuff that people tell you becomes a sermon, you know, and uh, he could have easily just, you know, raked you across the coals or, you know, just who do you think you are kind of mentality. He had the platform to pretty much squash you or, you know, in any, any sort of way. I'm, I'm impressed. Number one, that he told you, but it sucks that he didn't say anything after that, you know, or, you know, really, really do anything like that. So, um, wow, that's, that's crazy that God would like, especially was that really kind of your first prophetic dream? No, my first, strangely enough, my perf, my first prophetic dream was when I was 12 years old and it was about my little league basketball game. Mm. And I went to the game and told my buddies, I was like, you're not going to believe this, but I dreamed the final score of the game, how many points each guy scored. So I told them all of that. And then when the game was over, we went back in our locker room and they're like looking at me like, how'd you know all that? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. And it was silly and it didn't make any difference. Right. Wow. That's, and then from that, looking back, I've had about a dozen of these experiences. Um, and, you know, the one that besides Ted, the one that stands out to me the most is we were living in Dallas in the early uh, 90s, 93, 94, 95. And we went, do you know the uh, the band First Call? Uh, I've heard of them, yes. I don't know of them, though. So, so Michael English was the lead singer of that band at the time. He was from the Gaither Vocal Band. He sang Mary, Did yeah. You Know? Well, we went to a concert in Dallas uh, in Arlington, and I was standing there, and I said to my wife, Tasha, um, the woman standing next to him that was in the band with him, I said, she's pregnant and he's the father. Mm. Wow. And she looked at me and she's like, you're crazy. And I go, I know. <laughs> and then it all came out. Oh my goodness. So it has taken me, Jody, it is, I'm, I'm almost 52 years old. I'll be 52 in May. And about two years ago, I just said to the Lord, if this is who you've made me to be, then I'll be it. Okay. But I don't like it. It's right. very uncomfortable. Uh, it makes me look like a kook. Well. Uh, and I don't really care to look like a kook. <laughs> uh, and, you know, back in, back in 2018, I'm sorry, 2017, I had another prophetic vision um, and I've been carrying it for the past six years, mm. uh, praying that God will bring it into the light. Wow. Wow. And it is, it's a very heavy thing to carry. Um, there are no accolades that come from it. Right. And there's a whole lot of spiritual warfare and a, and a, and a massive uh, burden that comes with it. Um, and the hard thing is that people around you, um, you know, it's it's kind of like when Paul said, I saw it and they didn't. Right. I heard it, they didn't. And people either have to take your word for it or they have to dismiss you. And do you feel and like, and do you feel like God's telling you to carry this alone until the moment he, tells you to reveal it? Is that something that you're doing or are you just waiting to see if it happens or? Like no, I followed, I followed the same process that I followed with Ted and 
uh, I have gotten the word to uh, the individual. Okay. Uh, and the individual has chosen to uh, say that I have mental issues and and mm. has threatened to call the police. Wow. So, okay. <laughs> so I think I've done all I can do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, my elder board is aware of all of that. They've carried that with me now for almost six years. Okay. And, you know, it's very difficult to be the pastor of a Baptist church, Southern Baptist church with these sorts of experiences. Uh, yeah. it, makes, it makes it very difficult for people to determine whether they want to attend your church or not. Well, based on what I've seen, I think people are are growing at your church and um, the amount of salvations that are happening. And uh, it sounds like God is working. I've never been to your church. I've listened to a few of your sermons, uh, read your blogs and, you know, followed you for quite some time and just see, you know, people are still flocking to your church, you know, coming in flocks to your church. So uh, I would say that you're on the right track. That's for sure. And, you know, it's, I love what you said a while ago is that when, you know, after you read that book that the apologist gave to you and then you thought, man, I just want to go somewhere where they're spiritual, but they don't know Jesus, you Amen. know, and sometimes that right there is, you know, a catalyst for epic growth uh, just because you've got and, and the reason that they're spiritual is because they're looking for something. They just haven't found what they're looking for. Uh, and you and I both know that's Jesus. And so. Amen. You kind of you, you stepped into that vein the, of, of 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 vision, and God just is slowly but surely just you know I shouldn't say slowly over twenty five years has just been you know growing you to a place. I think what's cool is that you're you you have the confidence to be able to tell your your elders. So it's not like you know when this does come out or does blow up or whatever does happen, you've got the backing of your elders that you've already revealed this to, and they obviously have a history with you that they're comfortable with, uh, with you telling them that. So I think that's really cool that you've already set that foundation that you're not the only one carrying it. That's why I asked if God had told you to carry this burden, because, you know, sometimes those burdens, man, you know, sometimes we're meant to carry them by ourselves and sometimes we're meant to share those with others. And I'm glad to hear that you've shared those with others. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's big. That's big. So, so one of the reasons I, I asked you to be on the podcast is recently you just wrote a, a blog about Andy Stanley. And um, and I have been watching what I feel like a, a, a guy who comes from a, an amazing pedigree, um, you know, just a, a great history, uh, literally veering off the cliff. Like he is, I, well, I think he's already over the cliff. He just hasn't hit rock bottom yet. Um, in your article that you wrote recently, because Andy Stanley just came out in support of gay marriage, gay leadership, gay, the LGBTQ and everything within the, the context of the church. And, um, matter of fact, last night on my podcast, I, I, I tried to share what I feel the problem with the church is when it comes to that, is that there's this fine line of, of showing Christ-like love and condoning sin. And, you know, I think the church is battling that right now. And the, I think one of the biggest right. battlefields is going to be the LGBTQ, um, XYZ, whatever those, all those words are. Um, and you're either going to do like Andy Stanley and pretty much go ahead and condone all of it and say, come on in, 
and uh, that's Christ-like love is what in his mind is what he's saying. And or you're going to be, you know, so staunch that those people aren't even going to come near your church, and so you're not going to be able to reach them for the sake of the gospel. So, a couple things here I've got are, are just laid out here. So, Andy Stanley, like. Uh, I loved your blog because you have been a supporter of Andy Stanley for quite some time. And then it was, you, you, it's not like you've been like, I've probably been going after him for about five years now. And, uh, yeah, I could just see these little steps that he keeps taking and just these things that he keeps doing and scripture, he just keeps misapplying. And, um, and then I think finally you've seen, I would say the straw that broke the camel's back, uh, on this last, um, uh, last sermon series or whatever he has done uh, in that. So tell me, tell me where your heart is uh, when you wrote that blog. Well, I heard, I heard Andy speak for the first time when I was at Liberty. So I was like 19 years old. Mm. Uh, he had such affection for God's word. It was contagious. Uh, and then of course he was a graduate of Dallas theological seminary as well. And, you know, a lot of people, Having graduated from Dallas, uh, knowing the grueling effect that their training is, I mean, I mean, it's very thorough. Right. And a lot of times people will say, well, you know, Andy, maybe he's just confused or maybe he's, you know, this or that. I go, listen, that man is trained. Right. And he, he's he's functioning at a level that few people can even relate to, in my opinion. Yeah. And he knows what he's doing. Like he's a very smart, he's not only educated, he's very smart. He's very gifted. As you said, he comes from a, a an amazing pedigree. Um, interestingly enough, Dr. Stanley, his dad, Charles, right. uh, when I was 17, I was watching uh, In Touch for Living and I was wrestling with, am I going to be a pastor? And Dr. Uh, Stanley said, uh, if you can be anything else and be happy, do that. Do you ever remember, remember him saying, I do. Yes, exactly. I remember exactly what you're saying. Yes. At that moment, I was like, I can't do anything else and be happy. And that's how I solidified that God had called me to be a pastor. So I have a great affection for the family, for their heritage. Um, you know, Dr. Stanley's been a Southern Baptist pastor for many, many years. Um, been very faithful in that sense. So when Andy came out with unhitch your plow from the old Testament, Mm -hmm. uh, when he started saying things that they were nebulous, he wasn't being clear on his view of homosexuality. Um, but Andy's not the only one, right? I mean, we, Oh, not at all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We have a whole segment of evangelical Christianity that is moving in this direction. And, you know, here in Colorado Springs, our church is uh, in the heart of Colorado Springs. And back in November, we had a mass shooting uh, at a gay club called Club Q. Right. And uh, I wrote wrote some things on that as well. What's interesting in the uh, homosexual community is that they've reached a point uh, that there are certain segments of the society that they don't want to be a part of either. Right. Uh, and I'm not trying to sound bizarre when I say this or disrespectful, but they don't want people that identify as animals or werewolves or uh, mm-hmm. vampires. 
So, so even the LBGQT plus community has reached their limit. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. With the craziness that's going on. Left, yeah. Right. Our yeah. society is, has yeah. completely left the tracks. Uh, I will say one of the arguments that I make when it comes to personal pronouns is that possessive pronouns are more important than personal pronouns. If you don't know whose you are, yeah. it really doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter after that. Yeah, right. that's good. That's good. And, and so the gospel has to continue with all of these things. I just want to emphasize the gospel has to be our, our mm. primary focus. All of these other things have to be secondary. But when we're talking about a pastor, mm -hmm. all of these things have to be primary because people are looking to us to rightly divide the word of God. That's good. And and mm -hmm. Andy is misappropriating and misinterpreting scripture. Right. And he is unhooking the Old Testament from the New Testament. And it seems to me, mm -hmm. because he'll make a statement, well, I don't use the word the Bible says. I use the phrase Paul says, Peter says, Jesus says. Right. So it seems to me that we're headed toward the, you know, the red letters heresy yeah. uh, that only exactly what Jesus said is all that matters. Uh, and if Jesus didn't address it, then it doesn't matter. doesn't matter, right. But yeah. here's the problem with that argument. Jesus addressed gender. Yeah. So now, what are we going to do with that? Right. Because... Now I'm going to use your argument against you. You've now wanted to argue that only what Jesus says is all that matters. Okay, well, Jesus addressed gender. Right. So now what do you want to say about that? <laughs> right? Well, then you, you basically throw out, you know, the first five verses of John 1, you know, that Jesus was the word. I mean, that right there covers Genesis to Revelations. Right. Um a revelation, I should say. One of my elders would yell at me for saying revelations. Um, um, you know, but and that that's what drives me crazy with this this new new movement of you know between transgenderism and the gender issue, which I can't believe we're even talking about that. It's an issue in this day and age. Um, right. You know that that we even have to debate that, um, but. But you're right. I think where where Andy Stanley is going, and some of these other evangelical preachers that are are taking the word lightly, um, and they're falling into to play of you know the world. They're trying, man. It, it just really feels like they're trying to appease the world instead of you know like one of the uh, one of our phrases on our worship team and and in the pulpit areas that we we preach and sing to an audience of one. Everything that we do is toward to God and not for the crowd. It, if God wants us to have a crowd, then we're going to have a crowd. But otherwise, we're going to do everything, whether it was just him sitting in the room or, you know, the, the whole sanctuary filled up. And I feel like a lot of these pastors are are really now, you know, I mean, Andy Stanley, was he got 15, 20,000 members or something like that? I mean, he's obviously preaching, you know, to the crowd. He's not he's not preaching convicting conviction he's not preaching the gospel in it in context he's not you know looking at the scripture as in, inherent and and he's oh it's just you know and, and, and we're starting to see a lot more of these and so 
I, f- I feel the same thing that you do uh, is that, you know, we have to call that out. We have to, you know, uh, a spade is a spade and you've got to make them see that what they're saying, number one, is is wrong contextually when it comes to the word of God. And and two, biblically, it just it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. And um, and so I, that goes to the, my second part of the, the question. OK, so we kind of know that Andy's going off the rails and, you know, hopefully God, you know, through the power of the Holy spirit will convict him or his elders will come alongside of him. And it breaks my heart that, you know, where are his elders, you know, where, where's the church member standing up in the middle of church service saying heresy, or, you know, that's false teaching, or, you know, it, it just blows me away. And, and again, um, you can almost liken it to Mark Driscoll at Mars Hill, <clears throat> you know, they're looking at numbers, you know, they're looking at, um, tides, you know, they're looking at campuses all of a sudden they just, they're stacking the deck and they're like, okay, well, obviously he's doing something right. Uh, let's keep going with him. No matter how crazy, you know, we've, the, the, the crazy trains already taken off. So let's just stay on it. And I think that's what's happening probably at Andy Stanley's church as well is, you know, the numbers are showing up, but you know, again, it's, it's lightly rooted, um, Christianity. It's not deep rooted Christianity. And eventually when all hell breaks loose, they will, they will implode and, um, it'll, you know, go down to a mere remnants of that. So what does the church do? Maybe, maybe what does Vanguard church do in light of, you know, our call to love those who are lost, you know, I mean, we're not to judge those who are lost. We're not to, um, you know, condemn those who are lost, but how do we go in and, and love them? One, if they want to be loved and if they're searching for something, I, I like what you said a while ago is that, you know, the LGBTQ uh, has also stepped out and, and basically become an entity of themselves. And they, they're, they're starting their own churches. They're, um, you know, last night on last night's podcast, we had, um, the pride church out of, um, Duke university and, uh, you know, talking about the queer one and, the you know, the almighty transgender God. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, if Sodom, if, if God doesn't sm- smoke, you know, half of the cities in the United States, he's going to owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology, <laughs> you know? So it just like, oh my gosh, how much weirder can we get? And so back to my question, how do we get to a place as a church that we show them the love, but don't condone the sin? And that could be with any sin, not just uh, homosexuality or transgenderism or this gender debate, but mm-hmm. how, do, how do we do that? Well, when we started Vanguard back in 1997, uh, strangely enough, we started it with, uh, there were about a dozen people and six of them identified as homosexual, Wow! uh, either gay or lesbian. And one of those individuals, and I wrote a book called The Friend of Sinners, uh, Taking Risk to Reach the Lost. And in that book, I talk about how we built relationships with people that did not see uh, things the way we did. And one of those, uh, her name was Lillian. Uh, She came to work on the leaky pipes in our apartment. And when, when I, when she knocked on the door and I opened the door, honestly, I thought she was a man. Mm. And I thought that she said, hello, my name is Leo. But she actually, I later learned, she said, my name is Lil short for Lillian. 
So she came in. Uh, I honestly thought she was a man. Um, she fixed the leaky pipes, came out of the bathroom. Uh, we had just moved into this two bedroom apartment and the second bedroom was my church office. And she, she just stuck her head and said, Hey, everything's taken care of. Uh, I said, thank you so much. Didn't dawn on me, you know, that this was a divine moment. And, and then she says to me, well, why did you move to Colorado Springs? Huh. And I'm like, light came on and I just, you know, I, I was like, well, we came here to start a church. We'd love for you to be a part. And we're starting this small group called an X group. Oh. We have spiritual discussions. We base it off of the Bible. We put a hat in the middle of the room. You throw a question in the hat. You, nobody has to know it's yours. And we discuss it. And she was like, well, do you mind if I bring my girlfriend? I was like, no, that'd be great. Well, I mean, our church just doubled in size. You know, we, <laughs> we hasn't even started. And so then she left and my wife, Tasha, came out of the master bedroom where she had been hanging up pictures because we had just moved in. And she said, so who was that? I said, oh, that was Leo. And she's like, honey, that was a woman. And I was like, honey, I know the difference between a man and a woman. Okay. I may be from a dairy farm, but I know the difference between a man and a woman. And turns out she was right. Mm -hmm. And then I kid you not, like this incredible fear came over me. Wow. I've just invited the first people I've invited to our church is a lesbian couple. Right. And, and I was terrified. I was like, how do I uninvite them? What if they come? What if they do things that are inappropriate? And the Lord made it really clear to me, I've orchestrated this. Right. And That's so true. she came over, brought her uh, lesbian lover. We had a wonderful evening, had dinner together. About two months in, we were having our first event. And um, she was helping us set up for it. And she said, hey, I have a question for you. I was like, okay. She was like, what do you think about my lesbianism? And I was getting ready to tell her. And right. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, tell her, you didn't create her. You didn't die for her. You won't be your judge. It doesn't matter what you think. Huh. So I opened my mouth and I said, I didn't create you. I didn't die for you. I won't be your judge one day. It doesn't matter what I think. Mm. She's like, really? And I go, yeah, I feel the same way. I I thought what I thought is all that matters. Wow. I said, and I felt like the Lord said, have her ask you what I think. And so I prayed. I was, and I, I was like in the book of Acts where they were praying for Peter to get out of jail. And he got out and they didn't believe God, you know, they didn't believe it was really Peter. They left him at the door to go tell everybody it was Peter. Like I had that moment where I couldn't believe God had answered this prayer. So I gave her a Bible. I earmarked Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6. She read it. She came over for dinner. I said, what do you think? She said, well, it says it's a sin. I was like, really? She's like, well, that's what it says. And God taught me one of the most valuable lessons I've ever learned in my life. Till people care what he thinks, it really doesn't matter what I think. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And I'm here to be a vehicle to bring people to what God's word says 
to what his Holy Spirit uh, convicts people of. And until those two things align, really what I think doesn't matter. Right. And, and so we built our church around that. And I think it's great, going back to Andy Stanley, I think it's great that we be compassionate toward people right. that, that battle things we don't battle. But when people ask us what God thinks, once again, what we think doesn't matter. And some of us may be overly condemning. Some of us may be too grace-filled. I like to say if you don't know a sinner, it's easy to condemn them. If you do know, it's hard to tell them the truth. We didn't write the Bible. We are here to represent what God's Word says. And the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, brings people under conviction and it is not our job to compromise what God's word says. It's our job to build relationship, to be the hands and feet of Christ, and to always point them, always point them to the word of God so that the Holy Spirit can bring them under the power of the conviction that leads them to repentance, that promises them through the finished work of Jesus Christ, eternal life. Amen. And so that's the power of why we do what we do. That's good. So, so like, let's say for this example, I mean, did was she convicted enough to leave the, the lifestyle, or did she just end up leaving the church, or what ended up happening when she found out the truth? So one of the things I, I thought early on, she asked me. So I just have a question for you. I was like, okay. She was like, do I have to give up lesbianism to follow Jesus? And I said, no, you have to give up everything. Mm. So if you're going to come to Jesus, you got to say it's all yours. Everything, not just one thing, everything. And so she did eventually come to Christ. Her lesbian lover came to Christ. Um, Her name is Jennifer. She ended up becoming a teacher teaching English as a second language and moved uh, to Asia and began to share the gospel with, with Buddhist priests that she became uh, friends with. Um, Lillian came to Christ, and in 1997, in May of 1997, uh, we got invited by the Southern Baptist Convention for her to give her testimony in front of 35,000 Southern oh, Baptists. Yeah right after Adrian Rogers preached. Oh my goodness. No. That awesome? Wow. Praise God. Lillian, Lillian moved back to the Northeast. Um, and I believe that she continued to struggle mm-hmm. uh, with this issue. Um, Jennifer left it completely and immediately. That was not the case for Lillian. Okay. Mm. I mean, you, you know, the struggle um, of the flesh is real, whether it's yes. whether it's straight, gay, bi, whatever. I mean, especially sexual struggles. I mean, that's real for everyone. And that's the battle that we all have to keep fighting. I think that's where the church, you know, kind of screws up on not not understanding that, you know, as as a man, you know, my inclination in the flesh is let's see how many women I can sleep with. 
But right. after being married 32 years, I realized that's even though the battle's still there, um, I'm learning to win it because not not only do I have the power of the Holy Spirit, um, you know, I've learned to hide the word in my heart so that I don't sin against God. And I've learned to have a communication with my wife in order to be able to share those struggles and vice versa. And so um, we've got to realize that the struggles may always be there. You know, like some of my struggles, man, I quit drinking um, and I haven't had a taste for it in 20 years. You know, that was that was easy for me. This, the, you know, the, the bouncing of the eyes, the lust of the heart, that has always been a harder struggle. Um, you know, and where I think where, where we as the church need to continue to help each other is to know that, you know, we'll, we'll never be sinless, but we can sin less. And we've got to learn to fight those battles as we uh, grow and mature in the grace of, of God. And, um, we got to realize that other people are going to struggle, struggle with those too. Um, for some reason, God has always sent me addicts, you know, that are you know, trying, struggling with, you know, drugs and alcohol and even pornography. And, you know, a lot of times some of these folks will come in, they're instantly saved. They're instantly uh, redeemed. Everything's, you know, great. There, there's no more struggles and there's others, man. It's like, okay, I found Jesus, but, oh, there's the, there's the drugs again. And then, you know, it's this up and down, uh, just trying to, trying to get through that. And so I love, I love what you said is that, you know, our job is not to judge. Our job is just to share, um, God's word. And when we do share God's word, that's, what's going to convict. I've always said this to my church. Like I can go on Google and I can print out a list of every sin that's listed in the Bible. And I can hand that out in church. Just, just that list. I can hand that out at church or the street or my community or whatever, and people aren't going to feel as convicted as they are as they when they read the Bible and all of a sudden there's that sin that's in their life staring them at the face and they go, oh, okay, now I know what I need to do. That's what changes people um, to for the better. You know, it's that that burden is lifted and uh, the yoke is light. Now they now they can get out and start. Um, you know, living the life that God has called them to live, but it's going to be a battle in most cases. Unfortunately, we still got to deal with the flesh. So, um, great, great word. I love that. I mean, you know, and that's, that's as a pastor, that's, um, that's my struggle is, is at what point, you know, does it become judging? At what point does it become condoning? Um, and it scares me to death that I would push somebody away from the gospel because of my stance on certain things. Um, you know, and even if I stand on the word of God, it's still my stance and, you know, still what they, what they look at me thinking, but, um, I also don't want to water down the gospel, uh, or the message of the word, you know, and all of a sudden here comes the culture into our church and changing the church. Right. And, um, that's, that's the battle that I see. You know, especially for me, I'm in St. Louis, um, and uh, you know, it's a very, it's a, it's an eclectic uh, community, uh, very Catholic, uh, but I would also say that it's very cultural. Um, you know, we've we've got the, you know, the the issues with the Black Lives Matters, and uh, it's a very um, melting pot of people, just like most big cities are, and uh, it's it's a struggle trying to find um, find that that balance, you know, to make sure that we are sharing the gospel, but we're also sharing the love, but we're also sharing discipline. You know, there's gotta be that balance between those two. And so that was, a, that was a good word. Cause that's, that's what I, you know, when I look at Andy and I look at, you know, the, 
you know, the Furtics of the world. I look at some of these folks that are, you know, um, blowing up, you know, because of social media, mostly their churches are blowing up because of the message. You know, sometimes they're great messages. Sometimes they're watered down messages. And then, um, you know, I, I struggle not to judge them too harshly just based on some clippets that I've seen or, you know, something that I've heard or a sermon that maybe they took out of context, but, you know, you don't necessarily see an apology or a rebuttal uh, after the fact. And so where do you think as pastors, um, how, how do we balance, you know, as a pastor, how do we balance shepherding our flock and protecting other flocks or, or is that really our goal or is that is that really our job um we call it out when we see it i've been asked that question a lot because as you can imagine i've taken quite a bit of uh, of uh, criticism uh for some of the articles that i've written some of the public statements uh that i've communicated right and you know it's interesting this morning in my devotions uh in the book of galatians uh, Paul was talking about how he had to publicly confront Peter and Barnabas. Right. And, and the phrase is, in front of all the other ones, yeah. we have a responsibility as pastors to hold each other accountable. Mm-hmm. Now, Andy's elder board and his church has a responsibility to hold him accountable to what he teaches in the context of his church. Yeah. But we have a responsibility as shepherds to each other to hold one another accountable to what God's word says. Mm-hmm. And when we do not abide by God's word, we as shepherds, we as as senior pastors, we have a responsibility to hold each other accountable. I'll That's give you an example. Right. I had a pastor come to me. Uh, a few years ago, because after Ted fell publicly, he then eventually started another church. Right. And then just recently, they closed that one down. The elders made him close it down. And now he started a third one in his home. Hmm. And so he's going to continue to do what he's going to do right. till God Almighty addresses him, right. you know, one on one. Right. But a pastor said to me, How can they? continue to let Ted pastor. And I stopped him and I said, I want to ask you a question. Who is they? We pastors are they. Mm. We're not the Roman Catholic church. The evangelical church does not have a hierarchy. That's good. We have have a responsibility as evangelical pastors to each other to hold one another accountable. Right. There are few pastors Mm. more influential over other pastors than Andy Stanley. Right. And it is important that other pastors say to Andy publicly, this is not okay. So what, why don't, why don't you think they're not doing that? Like there's, there's, no, plenty. I, can't, I can't speak to that. I, right. all, all I can say is, and, and there are arguments that, you know, you without sin cast the first stone and, 
you know, you want to say his sins were, you know, there's all these arguments that you have to live through every time you say something publicly. True. And it's like, you know what? Matthew seven says, don't judge unless you want to be judged with the same measure. Well, I do. Yeah, I do. I want somebody to say to me what I'm saying to him publicly. I want somebody to hold me accountable to what God's word says. Have at it. That's good. And yeah. So I want to, I want somebody to do me this way. I want to be treated this way. And Jesus said, I want to be treated this way. I want somebody to love me enough to say, this is not what the Bible says. You've gone off, you've gone off rails. Come back. You're an amazing man of God. Andy Stanley, you're an amazing man of God. You're an amazing teacher of God's word. Come back. Amen. We need need you. Amen. Don't leave. Amen. Imagine, imagine if he did have a cohort of uh, pastors just, you know, go to him and set him down and, you know, just kind of show the error of his ways. I mean, imagine what kind of love that would show, number one. And number two, you probably see his heart real quick. Um, you know, if he were to to basically deny, you know, it's kind of the Matthew 18 mentality. You know, you go to him individually and then you go to him with another brother or an elder. And then the next thing you know, you're going to him at the church. And as pastors, how awesome that would be if if we had that coming uh, directed to us at, in those moments as well. And that, that makes a lot of good sense. I like the way that you said that, um, you know, because that's been my biggest fear is like, well, for, go ahead. Well, for 22 years, Jody, I have been praying for Ted Haggard's redemption. Right. I'm still praying for it. I want to see him restored. I want to see him repent. I want to see him brought back in to uh, the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. But Ted has not repented. Right. And matter of fact, recently he said if he had to do over again, he would have never confessed. Mm. Wow. And the unfortunate thing, Jody, and you know this as a teacher of God's word, the Bible makes it clear there is a greater judgment on us. Right. Yeah. And we feel that greater scrutiny all the time. That's what scares me. Every time I open up my Bible and get ready to preach, I'm like, okay, God, I need you speaking this because I'll screw it up and I don't want to be judged like that. Yes. That's good. That is good. Yeah. That's, um, you know, I think we saw recently a, a very good example of restoration in the process with Matt Chandler. Um, Amen. You know, Matt Chandler, he, he did something stupid and, you know, luckily he, he did the right things and he did the wrong thing to begin with, but he did the right things after the fact, uh, when he was confronted, uh, he took it to his elders, his elders made the decision to pull him out. Well, I think he was out maybe what, two months, three months for restoration. Um, and then they brought him back and man, that was a, that was a very good example of how it's supposed to be done. The elders did exactly what they were supposed to do. And again, Matt Chandler is one of those guys that, you know, he's pulling numbers for numbers sake, if you, if that's what you're looking at. And, 
um you know he's he's all over the place and uh it was it was good to see his uh his elders do that so that's that would be a great example of of good restoration and a good process to bring a pastor back because the the worst thing that the church that can happen to the church is to lose the pastor um you know outside of moral failure uh where they probably need to step down and hopefully you know the 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 holy spirit will allow them to step down themselves without being pulled out of the out of the mix but you know the last thing that needs to happen is the pastor be pulled out of the pulpit uh hopefully restoration can happen because you know you take out a whole lot of people as a pastor and that's that's my prayer every morning when i wake up lord let me finish well let me finish well let me finish like i just I just keep praying that over and over and over because uh, if you or I, if we do have moral failure uh, of any sort, I mean, we take out a whole lot of people with us and that judgment will be, will be very, very grand on us um, in the end of days. And that's a scary, scary thing uh, big time. So that's, that's a, that's a really good word. There's something else that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, You, uh, you had uh, emailed me and said, "Hey, man, I'm sorry for not getting back to you. I went to the Asbury Revival. Um, I have heard, you know, I've I've got three or four really, really godly guys that I know that went to the revival, and they're sending me emails and texts and like, oh my gosh, this is a move of God, and you should get here, and you know, all this kind of stuff. And then you've got the other half of the world saying, oh, this is false, this is demonic, this is not a move of God, and uh, from your perspective, uh, you were there. Uh, I know you kind of went late in the game, so to speak. But um, what what was your uh, what are your thoughts on what happened at Asbury and uh, what is continuing to happen? What's your thoughts? Well, I, I'm a little biased, so I need to say uh, because in 2007, a gentleman by the name of Zach Mearcreeves that gave the sermon that launched the Asbury revival, uh, 2023. He came to Christ through our church here in Colorado oh, Springs. Praise God. Okay. Uh, he is Jewish. Uh, most people don't know that. Wow. Um, and a gentleman by the name of Joe Shulman, who is a soccer coach, not a pastor, uh, led Zach to Christ. And then one of our pastors, uh, longtime pastors that he's gone off and started a coaching ministry now, Alan Briggs, discipled Zach. And then Zach moved to Lexington. So strangely enough, Zach's from here. I'm from there. Uh, <laughs> God called him there and called me here. So okay. Um, so I had to give that part because I am a little biased. Right. And Zach's been a part of this thing from um, obviously from its conception, and um, he is a sincere follower of Christ. So I have a lot of confidence in him. Um, and my understanding is he gave a sermon. Chapel ended. And about 20 of those students stayed and didn't leave. Wow. And similar to like the Quaker movement, yeah. the Holy Spirit began to quake. Right. Uh, and there was an unleashing of the Holy Spirit in a way that was unexplainable. Mm. And then more people came, more people came. And then on the day I was there, February uh, 18th, uh, which was a Saturday, there were 25,000 people that came. Oh, my goodness. Now, I had I had read uh, that they weren't allowing in uh, everybody. You had to stand in line, obviously, because the 
auditorium and only seat about 1200. Right. But they had a short line for Gen Z to get in. And my daughter, Journey Grace, uh, is Gen Z. Uh, she and I had gone to a Kentucky game in Lexington. Uh, we had gone to visit my family and it just so happened that it all lined up. And so she went and got in the short line. So I'm texting her. I'm like, hey, send me videos, send me pictures. <laughs> she was in there worshiping for about three hours. She's 15 oh, years old. Praise God. And she, she was like, Daddy, I've never experienced anything like this in my life. Oh. And she met a young lady named Mercedes. They prayed together, worshiped together. Uh, I mean, it, I never got into the room. Right. I had a jumbotron so I could hear what was going on. I could see it. Um, but I was standing in line for three hours. Uh, and I will just tell you this, Jody. I've been to a lot of camp revival meetings in Kentucky because that's where I grew up. Right. Um, I've, I've experienced a lot of great, powerful Holy Spirit things. I've never experienced anything like that. There was a joy. It, it, it must have been like what the Mount of Transfiguration was like where they right. wanted to build three tabernacles and yeah, stay. Right, exactly. I'm watching 70 and 80-year-old people standing in the freezing cold with a joy on them because there was something manifesting geographically there that I can't explain. That is awesome. It was life-giving. And I just want you to know that, like I've come back here to Colorado Springs and I personally feel different when I get up to preach, when I pray, like I feel a greater measure of the power of God on my life. Mm. Um, I don't know. That's all. All I can tell you is what I experienced. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I've been, I have been arguing and debating with people, you know, there, we have so many armchair quarterbacks, you know, sitting on the sidelines doing nothing but complaining and griping and this and that, and that movement's not real. And this movie sucks and that music stinks. And like, you know, they're doing all of this complaining and bickering and moaning, but yet their church is two blocks away that they could literally walk into and start praying. You know, they could, they could fall on their knees and start praying, you know, let's join the revival. Let's not bash the revival. Let's, let's get into prayer. Let's bring the church together and let's pray. Let's, you know, let's, if you truly, I even asked my church this Sunday, um, I said, uh, I asked them, I said, how many people here want revival? And everybody's like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Let's, let's pray. And, or yeah, let's have revival. And I was like, how many of you started revival in your own heart? And everybody's like, oh, okay. Uh, I was like, well, you've got to learn to, to get to know God. You've got to learn to read your Bible. You got to learn to have a prayer life. You got to learn to be repentant. You've got to learn to fast and pray. You've got to do all these things, these disciplines and prepare yourself for revival when it does happen. I said, we have community prayer or corporate prayer every Wednesday night. And we started that about four months ago. And I said, I just want you to know that me and a few others are the only ones coming on. And I got a church of, you know, 200. Um, and we've got, you know, 10, 15 people coming on our community night. And so I challenged them this past Sunday. I said, all right, Wednesday night, we have it once a month. Um, I want to see this. If you believe in revival, all of you just raised your hand and said you believe in revival. If that's true, you'll be here Wednesday night and we will, we will pray that the Holy spirit falls upon this place and brings revival in our community. Uh, that's how Amen. revival starts. And, Amen. uh, 
I'm just so tired of all of these, you know, these just, you know, I, I call them Facebook prophets and Google theologians and keyboard warriors. You know, they're just, they're just online complaining and griping about everything, but they're not actually out doing anything. And so I'm glad to hear that to, to say that you felt like there was something that was going on there. Obviously you didn't get to get in, but your daughter saw something and felt something that she's never felt before. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, you know, we're all indwelled with the Holy Spirit, but sometimes we, we quench the Holy Spirit with our sins and our doubts and our fears and our worries. And, um, and when there's this unabandoned love for God and worshiping God and, and, uh, just unashamed, uh, prayer, when you're crying out to God, then you're going to feel the Holy Spirit in a completely different way. And if there's, if there's hundreds and even thousands of other people doing the same thing, oh, golly, I could imagine you just want to bathe in that. Like that, that's, that's where you want to be. So uh, I appreciate you uh, just, you know, telling me, telling me what you thought and and how it, uh, how it ended up. So that's good to hear. So, so a couple other things. Um, And I, again, I, Kelly, I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate your um, your pastoring, the way that you pastor. You're someone that I, I would look up to, and I do look up to. Uh, just listening to some of the stuff that you're talking about, I, I think that you've you're listening to God in a way that, you know, unfortunately, a lot of pastors aren't. Um, you know, they're they're too worried about the the likes and the views and the uh, the comments and and all of that kind of stuff. You know, one of the things that um, I think brought you into the limelight a little bit more than, I mean, you've been all around, it seems like, you know, every few years, it seems like uh, you and your church come out of the the woodwork, so to speak, but you really did during COVID. And, um, you know, the movement that you had at COVID that where, I think it was actually your worship pastor was... Was it on the state lawn or the yeah. the courthouse or whatever? Just you know, having worship and you guys were all out there during COVID and all of that. How did um, how did your church fare through through all of that? And um, I know Colorado was shut down. St. Louis, man, after six weeks, we went back to church. I meant um, we just you know the county said churches do what you want to do, just be safe and man. We, we went back to church in six weeks. I know you guys were a lot longer than that. How did, how did you guys fare through that? Yeah, I, I tried to follow the CDC guidelines, and okay. I tried to be respectful to the state and local officials. Um, we ended up going back to services. Uh, we were out of services for about three and a half months. Okay. And... Obviously, you live through it. I live through it. Uh, it was a bizarre experience. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody seemed to get their feelings hurt about something. Either you were too strong or you were too lenient or you were too this or you were too that. Um, and what I, you know, what I said was if, if the gospel is not more important than COVID, then we should close the doors of the church. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Now, how we appropriate that from A to Z, okay, let's debate it. Right. But let's don't decide that COVID is more important than the gospel. Right. And whether or not people go to heaven or hell is more important than whether they die. Yeah. And so then from there, we worked our way back. 
Mm, that's good. And, and we tried to put together a process that was honoring to people as much as we possibly could be holistically. And yet at the same time, move our church forward. And, you know, we went through all the same stuff everybody else went through right. but, and a third of our church never came back. Yep. Um, that's, I haven't met many pastors where that's not the case for their congregation. Right. Um, and I don't know if it's all because of how we handled it or didn't handle it. I mean, who knows? It's a very complicated situation. Well, you also had the election going on at that time too. Like, and it was so polarizing. Oh my gosh. Well, I, and I will tell you this, we, we, we hosted a prayer walk in our city mm. and our worship pastor, who's African-American led that. Mm -hmm. And we had hundreds and hundreds of people from across our city come and the mayor knew we did it. The CSPD knew we did it. We weren't supposed to do it. They knew we were doing it. And they said, we can't give you our blessing, but we're not going to stop you. Oh, amen. And I couldn't help but remember when, you know, when Peter said in Acts, we got to obey God rather than man. And there are some things, there are some moments. I think sometimes we use that as an excuse to disobey government, but there are some moments when we do have to obey God over man. Right. And I think there were some moments in COVID when that was the case. Yes. I think we can be respectful. We can try to be honoring. Uh, and I tried to be as honoring as I possibly could be to our government officials. Cause I know their jobs right. are not easy either. Um, and I will say, and I'll, I'll take some heat for this. Um, <laughs> Governor Paulus, I thought, did a pretty good job. Mm, good. Governor Paulus is the, he's a professing uh, homosexual. Right. Uh, he's not a believer. Um, and I do believe that he tried. I don't think he was trying to shut down God in Colorado. Right. If he was, I didn't get that. Right. Um, and I do think that he did a lot of things uh, that I wouldn't do. Uh, but I do think that he was trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that every unbelieving person out there uh, is trying to destroy what I'm trying to do for God. Amen. Uh, Amen. Well, so I, unless you're 150 years old, it was our first pandemic. You know, it's not like we've ever been through one before. And you, you kind of, you kind of had to follow some guidelines to start off with, but right. you know, but once it went to a certain point, it was like, Oh my gosh, we can't continue to, well, the world can't continue to do that. And, um, I do know in the future, it'll, it'll have to be a nuclear war to, to shut the church down again. Um, that's, that's before, right. before we, I'll be here. If you want to come, come. <laughs> the, doors, the doors are going to be open, but, uh, but yeah, I saw that you guys, you guys really took a stand and I appreciate that. And, um, and you did it, uh, godly, you, 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 you didn't leave a bad taste in their mouth. And, uh, I appreciate that. That's a, that's a, that's a great stance that, you know, again, it, you were damned if you do and damned if you don't, right. uh, in that moment. And, uh, now, I think we're just now going to start seeing the major uh, issues that came from that, you know, the stress, the depression, the alcoholism, the drug addictions, yeah. um, you know, suicidal rates have jumped off the charts uh, right. just because of, you know, uh, being alone. 
uh, yep. being shut shut down, and you know some states are worse than others. And right. you know, luckily, Missouri was was pretty um, pretty lenient uh, from for the most part. Um, and uh, I, you know, I think we're we're better for it. The church actually, you know, the third that I lost at at our church uh, was the third that if I'd had to pick to you know, the, the, the third to leave, that would have been the third that I'd asked to leave. You know, <laughs> so I think God kind of did, did that sifting for us. Uh, uh, and I hate that, that we're doing that, but we've had uh, a major uptick and God, uh, God yeah. keeps pushing, pushing and moving. So, so let's one, talk about, let's talk about your new book. You've got four you, books. Oh, go ahead. Can I, tell you, can I tell you one quick thing I did during COVID that I felt like I felt cause I kept coming to work every day as if it were normal. Right. Uh, because I mean, I just, I grew up on a farm, so you go to work. Okay. I mean, you, you, it doesn't matter what the weather is. doesn't matter what the conditions are. You go to work. And I felt like the Lord told me, uh, and I did this. I felt like he wanted me to take our uh, database and write a prophetic prayer to everyone that we had an email for and send it to them. Amen. And so I said to them, hey, forgive me if I'm crazy, if I'm off my rocker. And I'd just start praying and I would write it out. And I would look at it when I would get done and go, Lord, I don't even really know this person that well. They're going to think I'm crazy. Right. And I felt like the Lord said, send the send, uh, hit the send button. Wow. And Jody, what came back from that? Hmm. And one person, they they said that the email went into their junk mail mm. and they didn't get it for six months and they found it and it was at the exact time and there was something in that email that they exactly needed at that moment. No way. That is awesome. And, so, and so I just want to say to your audience, when God tells you to do something, even if you don't understand it, Amen. just do it. Amen. Do it. Wow. Man, that is awesome. Praise God, dude. That is great. Well, so you've um, not only are you a senior pastor, um, you're married. How many kids do you have? I have five kids. Five kids. Okay. I've got four. I've uh, been married 32 years. Um, I'll be 54 next week, just so you know. So I, I got a couple of years on you there. Um, you're the author of four books, uh, that I counted friends of centers, real marriage. Um, and that's, uh, I need to put a dash cause that's also Driscoll's book, <laughs> real <laughs> marriage. We have to put a dash there. Um, the mystery of 23 and your recently, uh, published book, the good pastor, uh, is, did I get them all? Yes, sir. Okay. Awesome. Uh, so so tell me a little bit about, you, you, you mentioned the friend of sinners a while ago. What about real marriage? What's a uh, little synopsis for that? Well, I've known Mark Driscoll since 1996. Okay. And I sent Mark a copy of real marriage uh, two years before he published his. You're kidding me. That's a true story. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I don't know if you listened to um, the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast. I did. I did. Oh my gosh, dude! I and what 
ticks me off is as they were going through that, I, I listened to that thing intently because there was a point in time I gave my life to the Lord in 2003. And, you know, I came from a, you know, I drank a lot. I liked to fight. Um, you know, I was in the military and just, you know, I needed somebody I needed. I didn't need a hippie Jesus. I needed a Jesus that would, you know, like Driscoll, the way that he described Driscoll, uh, you know, Jesus was, I thought, gosh, that's, that's the Jesus I'm looking for. You know, it just seemed like it, he just hit a vein. And I, I right at that 2003 mark, when I gave my life to the Lord, um, you know, he's, he's coming up on the scene and, you know, it just, I just, followed him for a long time and and just emulated some of the stuff that he said and did and i thought man this this dude's is exactly what and then as i'm listening to that podcast i'm thinking now as i look back as a more mature um you know not in the milk of the word anymore kind of christian i can see the steps that every step that he was taking i could just see this like just veering off you know just slowly but surely veering off and it breaks my heart that he did that and uh come to find out that the real marriage probably wasn't the only book that he basically plagiarized or or stole seems like so uh so so tell me about tell me about the real real marriage book how's that (laughs) (laughs) so so tasha and i wrote that uh, my wife and i wrote that in uh I think it was in, oh, we started in 05. I think it got published in 08. Um, And we basically, when I met my wife, she had never kissed a guy. Okay. So that really freaked me out. Right. And, and then she, she told me we were dating. Well, I, I'm willing to kiss you if you want to kiss me. And I was like, I'm not going to be the guy that messes up that track record. I'm sorry. <laughs> and so I made a commitment to her. I was like, Hey, if, if this works out, I'll kiss you for the first time on our wedding day. Mm, wow. And so the book, the subtitle is where, where fantasy meets reality. Mm-hmm. And so the whole point of the book is, you know, you, you have this fantasy of what you think marriage is going to be. Right. And then you have reality. But the question is, can you mix fantasy back into the reality once you once you get a heavy dose of reality and learn how to have uh, that that kind of ecstasy in marriage that God intends? Amen. Not, not void of reality, but, right. but but in the midst of it. And so we basically take the word real, R-E-A-L, and we talk through how to realize the cost of a marriage embrace the commands God has for it, align your will to each other. We talk about, do you fight for each other or with each other? Right. Uh, which, which we all fight. The question is, are we fighting for or with right. or against? And then how do you, you know, how do you love each other for a lifetime? That's, uh, so that's, that's kind of the skeleton of that. Good for you. Awesome. That's good. Okay. And then the, the mystery of 23, you talked a little bit about that while ago. Um, and that is go ahead and, and t- a little synopsis of that real quick. Well, and, and I got to tell you something funny, if you don't mind, just Heck no. So, you know, when Ted fell in 06, which was five mm-hmm. years after I had gone to try to help him, right. Mark Driscoll came out and made a statement that Ted fell because Gail let herself go and didn't take care of herself. Right. And I'm like, Mark, 
he's he engaged in homosexual behavior. Right. It doesn't matter what a woman looks like if a man's going after another man. Right. <laughs> like that's the most idiotic thing I think I've ever heard him say. And it's, I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's not true. Uh, but even in that situation, it's really not true. Right. Uh, so the, the mystery of 23 book is the premise of it is when God calls you to do something mm -hmm. and it seems impossible and it doesn't turn out the way you wanted it to. And it brings all kinds of pain, discouragement and disappointment into your life. Can you turn and say to the Lord for your glory? Amen. And so the book asks the question, what's your 23? And for whatever reason, since February of 2001, that 23, that 123 in the morning, God has used 23 to say to me, I'm here. Mm. I see. I'm with you. Do what I've told you to do. Right. Trust me with the outcome and don't worry about what you don't understand. That's mm. easier said than done, but that's basically the gist of it. Okay. That's good. That's really good. And then your rec most recent book is The Good Pastor. I'm, uh, I, like good I, I, I just bought this book. I'm excited to get it. I can't wait to read it. So this book is like what I'm probably most passionate about. And that is giving a framework for pastors to be able to go the distance and mm. finish well. And there was a there was a ministry in Dallas um, called Finishing Well. I'm trying to remember the name of the guy. He wrote a book by that title. I'm sorry, Finishing Strong. Um, Steve, Mc, I can't remember his name now, but. He, that book, and I went to a class, Dr. John Hanna asked us a question at Dallas Theological Seminary in 1993. He said, do you want to be great for God? I said, well, yes. He said, well, don't quit. Don't fornicate. You'll be the only guy left and you'll be great. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding? He's like, Pretty no, simple. that's it. And so I have pondered that for almost 30 years now. And out of that statement comes this book where I basically identify uh, four D's, right. discipline, dreams, determination, and dependence. And I talk about how to incorporate those four things into your life so you don't quit, you don't fornicate, and you can hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen. One of the things that I emphasize, because... In the book of Joshua, God delineates between success and good success. Mm -hmm. And we all, when we get into the ministry, think we know what success is. Yeah. And it's not God's definition. And God has to teach us what good success is. Right. And so that's the other component of the book is that what we think is success as pastors that's not that's not how God measures it. That's good. And so my hope is that because I say at the beginning of that book, you know, 
So I guess I'm great for God. I haven't quit and fornicated. Okay. I don't feel great. <laughs> and so I talk about what greatness for God, what good success and what God wants his shepherds, his pastors to be. Um, and, and obviously who we are is more important than, than what we do. Um, and so my hope is that it can be an encouragement to pastors that you don't need to measure yourself against um, somebody else. You just need to turn and say to the Lord, is this who you made me to be? Right. Am, I being, am I being the person you've called me to be? And so it's a pretty simple book. Um, and I hope it's encourage, encouraging and inspiring for, for ministry leaders. And, and I would just say to your listeners, buy your pastor a copy of it. Mm, um, that's good. Make an investment in them um, and let them know that what they do for you matters. That's great. Do you think it's more of a senior pastor kind of book or is it like a calling to a pastor or associate pastor, assistant so. pastor, anything, all the above? Yeah, I think ministry leader. I, and I've had, I've had people that are not pastors tell me that it's, it's been very life changing for them mm -hmm. uh, because the first two sections of the book are about spiritual disciplines and about dreaming. Oh, that's good. And I think that's pretty universal. The third section, determination, it, it's about leading through failure, leading through temptation. Some of it may be very pastor-centric, that section may be. But then the fourth part, dependence, um, I think that universally applies. I, one of the things that I point out um, in the determined to lead through uh, failure or criticism, I said, you know, all of us have these Judas moments where people just have it out for us. Right. I said, but most people in ministry are, are the apostle Peter. They just betray us. Yeah. They, they have a weak moment. They deny us. They leave our church. They, you know, one of my favorite quotes from Rick Warren is people leave my church. I can promise you they'll leave yours too. Yeah. So, <laughs> doesn't matter how great you are. No matter how great a yeah. preacher you are, no matter how great a vision you have, this is the pain that every pastor has to deal okay. with is, is the departure of sheep and how to handle that well. So that's one of many things. That's a, I, that's good. Cause I tell you early on, uh, nobody, nobody warned me of, of how bad that hurt. Yes. That was, gosh, you might as well just walked in and punched me in the face. You know, right. that, that hurt less. Um, That's right. Yeah. Lee, I didn't, you know, I never, you know, cause what, what most people don't realize is, you know, as a pastor, the, the church is really your baby. Like, I mean, you're, right. you're nurturing this thing and you're helping it grow up and you're wanting to see it get through the teenage years and mature. And like, it's literally, you're growing, it feels like you're raising yeah. a baby. And then somebody walks in and says, you know, they love your baby. And the next thing you know, they're telling you how ugly it is and walking out the door. <laughs> it's like, what the crap? Seriously. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's good. That uh, I'll have to, I'll have to check out that. So real quick, what, uh, you know, Rick, you said something about Rick Warren while ago and the Southern Baptist convention just booted them out. Um, it sounds like, um, that, I mean, that's a big step for uh, the SBC. 
um, you know, taking a stand like that. What's your thoughts on that? I think it's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my understanding, and, I, and there's a lot of confusion around it. Right. I guess it's not been finalized till June, till the okay. actual convention. Uh, but my understanding is that the resolution only addresses lead pastors that that Southern Baptist churches can have pastors as long as they're not lead pastors. Right. That, that's a little confusing. I don't. Uh, I haven't got full clarity on that yet. Um, and what are they know, considering a pastor? Because. Like, you know, we have now children's pastors and, you know, right. youth pastors and, you know, uh, family pastors. Like, it's all, it's almost like the word pastor has become synonymous with ministry leadership um, instead of saving that, that maybe that title or that name for the one who teaches God's word, you know, from the pulpit. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I well, Jody, I'll just say this. I I wrote an article on this. It's on uh, Patheos and, you know, the role of women in leadership. Um, I don't I don't believe, as I understand it, that a woman should be an elder of a church, right. which I believe is equivalent and equal to a senior pastor. Right. Exactly. So to me, the word pastor is where it's confusing. Right. So let's use the word shepherd because that is the, the actual term. Word, right. Pastor is a made up English word. Shepherd is the actual word. Um, and I think men and women both can serve in the role of shepherd, uh, but in the role of senior pastor or elder, presbytery, uh, you know, presbytos, right. uh, bishop. Yeah. I believe Overseer. I believe by design that should be reserved for uh, to reflect the headship of the home. The church should reflect the headship of the home. The home should reflect the headship of the church. Uh, it's a it's a complicated discussion to get into. Right. Um, I don't agree with my denomination, and I don't know. Uh, well, if if they're just referring to senior pastors, I do agree with them. Right. But I can't seem to get clarity on what they actually are referring to yet. Because it sounds like Saddleback almost went co-pastor um, based on a couple of the articles that I read. Like they, uh, the husband and wife became co-pastors. Well, and I think, you know, going, going back to, you know, Aquila and Priscilla, mm -hmm. I, th I think that there is a movement in churches today to elevate and show value to both the man and the woman who started a church or who lead a church. And, you know, it's, I'm not aware of a Southern Baptist church where they have two senior pastors and one of them is not married to the other one. Right. So we're categorically talking about showing value to the wife of the senior pastor, in Got my it. opinion. Right. And to the gifts that have been entrusted to her if she has the gift of teaching, uh, which I believe in female teachers and I argued that point in the article in Patheos. Um, so to me, like it's, it's rather confusing and there's going to have to be a lot more clarity brought to it. Right. Okay. That's good. Well, you just mentioned Rick and I, I was like, Oh my goodness. So, um, yeah, we, we had the pleasure of, uh, 
uh, you know, thinking of California, Greg Laurie's church just had the uh, Jesus Revolution movie yes. come out. And we had the privilege of uh, being able to to come alongside that, sponsor it and do, awesome. some, do some stuff like that. And I that movie, I think, is going to is it couldn't come out at a better timing with Asbury going on. And yeah. you see these pockets of other revivals coming on and. Um, you know, you see this whole movement out of the out of the West Coast uh, that had started back when, you know, Greg Laurie and Rick Warren and all those guys were starting their churches. So I think God's trying to do something. And, uh, you know, hopefully they'll get over the mountaintops into Colorado and uh, they will just uh, come on over here to the Midwest. Amen. Amen. What we're praying for. So, um, well, brother, man, I, I tell you what, this has been an honor and a privilege just to sit and talk with you. Um, I wish I could sit under you and just kind of glean some stuff from you. And, uh, um, you know, I, I know you're a busy man, but I appreciate your time taking, you. taking this and, uh, look forward to reading your book and I'll let you know, I'll put a comment up on Amazon, uh, when I get through uh, doing it and post it on our, our social media. So, um, so how, how can I pray for you, brother? Uh, just courage, peace, and patience. Okay. I like that. All right. Well, I tell you what, folks, uh, make sure that you check out Kelly Williams' books on Amazon. Again, they are called Friends of Sinners, Real Marriage, The Mystery of 23, and The Good Pastor. Uh, you can also check out his blog at Kelly Williams. Is that dot? What is that? Kelly Williams, what's your blog? Uh, I've got a couple of them. One is Patheos. Uh, I write, I also write, uh, at WordPress as well. If you go to my, um, author page on Facebook, uh, all of the links are there Okay, uh, and you can connect with them there. If, if uh, it's just Kelly middle initial M Williams. Perfect. And, uh, make sure you go check out. He's got some really good blogs. I mean, that, that, good uh good brain teasers that make you think a little bit about what some of the stuff that he's saying and uh, i really appreciate your boldness and your courage stepping out like you do when it comes to um some of the shady things that we see you know just happening in the united states with progressive christianity um just wokeism that's that's happening that's uh the culture's being dri driven into the church as well and i thank you for your stance for that um and it's an honor and privilege to uh to get to know you and i appreciate you brother Jody, thank you for everything that you do, and thank you for your spirit of encouragement. I greatly appreciate it. Hey, man. We'll keep your head up and uh, yell at us if you need us to come over to Colorado and help you fight. We'll be there. Amen. Amen. Right. Thank you so All much. Right. God bless, guys. Hey, thank you guys you. for listening. And uh, you can check us out on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, as well as Podomatic. And we will see you next week. God bless. You've been listening to the Man Up God's Way podcast. Visit us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and our website at manupgodsway.org.